Hi there. Welcome to HR Shop Talk. I'm your host, Andrea Adams. We're going to talk about all HR stuff here with people who know what they're doing. You can also find me on YouTube where you can talk to me or others like yourself. Today, my guest is Kevin Campbell. Kevin blends science and the workplace and has worked for companies like Deloitte and Culture Amp. Currently, he's working for Qualtrics as an employee experience scientist. And as I said in the intro, is very seems very left and right brained at the same time. Hi, Kevin. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. So I am so interested in this, but as I sort of told you before I started recording, I might not do much talking because I don't know a whole lot about this. So I'm going to learn just as much as my audience. So let's start at the beginning. You bring people analytics and storytelling together. Okay, tell me why. Yeah, so uh, people analytics is becoming more and more relevant to businesses and organizations, and especially to HR, because people analytics departments usually sit somewhere in HR or they're a partner of the HR organization. However, uh, as the tools for doing analysis with people data become easier to work with uh, and become more simplified, uh, it's going to do a couple of different things. One, it's going to make folks that are pure people analysts and pure data scientists just a little nervous because there's a lot more democratization of people data and of people analytics. It's also going to require folks that might not have thought of themselves as being data-driven or interested or facile with people analytics to be encouraged to start working with people data much more. And the thing that bridges the gap for most folks, bridges that left brain and right brain, as you put right, it, right. the storytelling, um, because data informs, but stories inspire. And okay. data and insights that can be derived from that data only add value to your organization if they're put into action. And the action right. is not going to come from just a cold, dispassionate understanding of the data. Bar graph. Or a graph or a fancy <laughs> chart. Um, right. from the, the story and the context of the organization and the emotional response. Yes, absolutely. From that data. Absolutely. So I have a few questions. You talk about democratization of the data. Um, what do you mean by that? I mean that with a lot of the tools that are out there, whether it be Qualtrics, especially Qualtrics with some of the, the kinds of analyses you can do, or even um, less robust uh, uh, software like CultureAmp or others that are out there, it makes it so that you don't have to be a data scientist or, or a, a people analytics person to right. be able to generate insights. So it's making it so that somebody like myself, like we talked about how, you know, I'm a, a master's level organizational psychologist. Right. Um, I hadn't worked with some of the more common tools related to data analytics for a number of years since graduate school. You know, in graduate school, we were using programs like SPSS and coding in R 
which you have to be really, really smart in order to be able to work with those programs. And yet you have to know a little bit of computer science to to code in R especially. Right. But with the tools that we have now, if you just understand some very basic statistical concepts Mm -hmm. and understand the context of the organization, you can create the same kind of insights in a matter of minutes that it used to take a very specialized person a number of weeks to be able to do. Well, you, just, you so it's helping the power of, of, of data to so many people. Yeah, that's so encouraging for those of us in HR because most of us are, uh, we didn't we didn't do so well in the stats courses. I mean, I'm, I'm generalizing, but still. <laughs> okay, so what kind of, well, when you talk about storytelling, what kind of stories? So I think a great example is understanding the people behind the numbers. Okay. So rephrasing from a people first perspective rather than from a data first perspective and understanding the overall context of the story in which you're telling. So, you know, most stories follow some sort of a structure. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think about the hero's journey. If you're familiar with with Joseph Campbell, no relation, uh, but it's the same journey that you see in you know Star Wars or some of the the best Pixar right. movies, where there's some sort of homeostasis. You know, the the Hobbit is happy in the village, or um, but then there's some sort of disruption that takes that person off their path. Right. Uh, as they go off that path. They, they make some sort of discovery and that, that, that discovery creates a change within them or, or about their understanding of the world. And then they reach a new level of homeostasis in which they've grown from. Every single organization has a backstory and your stakeholders within that organization have aspirations and goals. And we all have problems. We all have obstacles and we have those things that are going to uh, move us off of our path. Um, and then that's where the data comes in because that helps you uncover that new insight. So an example might be, you know, there was this organization that sought to change the world for the better by improving healthcare for all people. Then all of a sudden, COVID comes along. The great resignation happens. All of these disruptions to, to, to business so as a result of that, we had to really dig deep into our people data to find out how is COVID affecting people and why are so many people quitting? And then that's where the data comes in. And you can say, oh, we we're able to have this new understanding as a result of this data. And then the rest of our story is how are we going to react to that new understanding in order to make us even better than we were before? You know, taking a story approach, what to the data what does that enable that the typical, here, look at the data, let's take action to address this, you know, bar in our bar chart? Yeah, it, you know, a lot of it is just a, a simple shift in language. Okay. If you think about most stories that inspire and 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 draw people in, they have a couple of common elements. Uh, some of the common elements is there's an emotional component and there's a main character. Yes. Really good stories. Think about who their audience is. 
And being audience specific and, and putting your audience and the people first goes a long way. So uh, an example might be uh, belonging at company XYZ is 72%. <laughs> That's the typical way that that, that might be um, described. But, and we but, measure uh, belonging via this these few data points, and then we come up with our aggregate number, and you're like, oh, that was yeah. so inspiring. <laughs> but what about almost three quarters of our people feel like they belong in our organization? Just a small shift, right? Um, turnover is predicted to be X, Y, Z in this particular department versus half of your top salespeople are thinking about leaving the company. Same data, but yeah. one is has a much more of an emotional appeal because Absolutely. you're just talking about the numbers. You're talking about the people and putting the people first. Okay, so do, do, is there a sales pitch you need to go through to get organizations on board with this approach or training? Or I I, I really like the framing of it as a sales pitch mm. because. You know, a great salesperson will think about their audience, mm. think about their their aspirations, think about their goals, think about their their obstacles, think about their problems, their challenges, what's keeping them up at, at night, and frame the pitch in that way. And it's not just about the persuasion component, but it's also about the usefulness. There are so many insights that folks working in people analytics can come up with. But until there's somebody that's asking for that insight or whether or not that insight ties into their day-to-day -day work and their day-to-day -day challenges, it's not really going to be useful or be used. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about, uh, you know, a, a, a retail sales organization, that frontline retail store manager doesn't care about people analytics they care about the person that called in sick and now they're short-staffed and they have to come in and, and manage the store and run the store themselves they're worried about the people that are really kind of not putting in their full effort and the customer that's complaining about a coupon and all of those things actually are people analytics related yes. but if we come in with a different language than the one that they use and we're not meeting them where they are all of those insights are useless all right so huh what does the process of doing this look like the the first step is to think about your stakeholders think about the people that would benefit from having better data for yeah. better decisions at their fingertips. Maybe yeah. start with your CEO. Maybe maybe start with your CHRO. Um, what is she like? What is mm. What keeps her up at night? Maybe think about what kind of persona she might fall into. Is she more of a big-hearted leader? Mm -hmm. is she, uh, what's the ROI on this person? Are they give me the bullet points kind of person? Are they skeptical? Are they more visionary and open to new and different ideas? What kind of language do they use? I think oftentimes people have familiar refrains. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. 
different talk tracks or words and phrases that they come yes. back to yeah. again and again. Yeah. And the more that you can incorporate that into your presentations and into your language and into the ways that you talk about data, they'll feel listened to. They'll know right. that you're you're thinking about the things that are important to them. Yeah. So I think that's the first step is, is understanding who your customer is, who the audience of the story is. So that's the place where I normally start. Then I want to unpack what their goals and aspirations are. What are the things that they're after? What do they want to grow? What do they want to improve? What do they want to gain? Both professionally and personally, uh, you know, it, it, do they want to be on the cover of HBR? Do oh, they yeah. To, do they want to be a thought leader in their space? Do, what, what are some of the things that make them tick as a person? And I think that the thing that people often don't ask, which is one of the most important questions is, what decisions do they have in front of them where good data will help them make a better decision? Where are their internal arguments that somebody's going to win? And if you don't have data, the winner is going to be based upon popular opinion uh, yes. rather than actual information. Yes. What are the myths that they want to bust? What are the hypotheses that they want to confirm? Right. You know, a great example that I see happening with a lot of organizations right now with inflation and a tight labor market are, do we pay people more? How much do we pay them more? Is that what really ties people to their job? Is, that's what, is that what is really leading to higher turnover? And I'll say that there's a different answer for every organization. Okay. Trying to understand like, oh, does, does pay relate to turnover? Well, yeah, of course it does. But to what degree? Right. And, to what degree for your specific context in your specific part of the world within your specific industry with your specific workforce. Mm -hmm. So the answer to that question is going to be different. And it's a great example of the kinds of decisions that are going to be very important for business success. Mm -hmm. And having good data from your people will allow you to make those decisions. So you know? if you, what kind of um, systems and skills do you need I mean, to even get to that point where you've got data to tell stories about. Yeah. So in terms of systems, you have to have some sort of feedback mechanism. Uh, the okay. most common uh, and the the one that I've worked with the most, not to say that it's the be all and end all because it's not, is, is surveys. Right. Uh, so that, that could come in a number of different forms. That could be your census, annual engagement survey, mm -hmm. the pulse surveys over yep. different periods yep. uh, of time. It could also be life cycle or event-based surveys. So okay, have the employee life cycle from when somebody applies to a job to the day that they leave or retire. Yeah, And along the way, there are all these different events, such as the onboarding process. Yeah moving into a different role or getting promoted, going out on leave, um, uh, going through a, a, a training program. And all of those different touch points are opportunities for being able to collect data on not just the outputs, yeah, but also the outcomes. A great example of an output versus an outcome is an output is how many people went through the training program. Yeah. 
An outcome is how have their behaviors and mindsets changed as a result of that training program. I love that. Uh, so, so being able to collect that along the way, um, and so that's the first step is, is you have to have the data, mm-hmm. uh, but surveys aren't the only f- source of that information. There's also passive listening and non-solicited listening strategies, such as being able to get information from Glassdoor or yeah. Yelp or any kind of internal intranet system, uh, having people make suggestions on how to improve work processes. But the first place you wanna start is is with thinking about your stakeholders and thinking about what questions they have, decisions they're making, and then that informs where you want to start with your listening program and and where you want to gather information from people and and gather feedback from people. Right now, the thing that's on the top of a lot of people's minds is retention and turnover. Yeah. A lot of, you know, a a great place to start is what makes people want to stay working here and what makes people think about leaving. And with a really well-designed survey, you can understand what that is. But you've got to build the buy-in first. You've got to understand first, why does this matter to us? Um, Does it matter to our organizational leaders? Why should it matter? What's the business impact of this? And And then then, at that point, at that point, you need, well, you need more data. So you don't have your survey yet. You have turnover data. You have, maybe you have general satisfaction data. And how do you, I mean, I guess the story is how you make it compelling to leaders. Yeah. And I, I, you know, a lot of it is just doing the the linkage analysis to say, how much is this really costing us? Mm, yeah. If yeah. We, we improve this by, by, by just a marginal bit over the next three years, how much more, more revenue will we have or how much money will we have saved mm-hmm. as a result of it? Yeah. You know, I was with one one call center organization with a large call center population, and it takes about six months to completely train up one of their call center reps so that they're now contributing to the organization because mm-hmm. it takes that long to really get trained up and to be able to serve customers. Mm-hmm. But they were losing 30 to 40% of their people within the first three months. Yes, yes. So, so that 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 first three months is a pure cost to the organization. Uh, so there's two ways that you can actually improve that. One is you can lower the turnover. Another is to improve the time that it takes for someone to ramp up. If you can shorten that ramp up cycle from six months to one month. Now, even though you have a lot of people leaving at three months, at least you have two months of productivity from people while they're there. And then if you can increase the the retention numbers to make it so that people stay for a good chunk of time, like two or three years, then you're really starting to see the difference. And it might cost you a little bit of money in terms of making sure people are more satisfied for whatever right. the drug happened to be. Yep. But if you can do it in a thoughtful way, you're going to end up with a better outcome than you had to spend in order to be able to make those changes. Absolutely. I had a client like that, that would fall right into that um, recently. Huh? Interesting. So uh, getting towards the end of this, what two or three tips do you have for the average HR person on how to apply some of this in their day-to-day work? 
Yeah. So number one is put the people first. So when you're talking about data, lead with the people. If you have a 80% participation rate on your survey, translate that into eight out of 10 of our people took the time to give us their feedback, right? It's just how right. can you language around. Number two is begin with your audience and stakeholders in mind. Think about who's going to be the end user of this. How can I put myself in their shoes and see through their eyes and, and put things in a language that resonates with them so that I'm answering the questions that are important to them. Uh, and then three is just go get it started. Go try. You don't have to right. be nothing yes. that we've talked about so far. It introduces complex statistical language. Um, and most of the time, it's just descriptive stats. It's just percentages. We're all comfortable with percentages. Yes, we just are. Percentages. <laughs> because guess what? Your stakeholders, the, the brilliant leaders and, and, and stakeholders within your organization, they understand percentages too. It's a, it's a great place for us to get started. You don't have to have the, you know, maybe behind the scenes, the software or you know, someone like myself is doing kind of the, the, you know, more complex, sophisticated analyses. But at the end of the day, we always want to translate that back to simple stats um, because that's what everybody's going to understand and it makes the most sense. So right. don't be intimidated. Just get started. You're probably better at this than, than most people because you understand the context of your organization and you understand the people. And that's why you're in HR. Right. You know what? I did another episode on people analytics and uh, he gave the same advice. Uh, just try, just get started, um, pick a problem and start working on it. All right. Uh, finally, if somebody out there is curious about learning more, where would they do that? Yeah. So two places. One is follow me on LinkedIn Okay. Uh, or connect with me directly on LinkedIn. I still am, uh, am connecting with people. Uh, I, I'm old school in that way. Um, and then uh, the XM Institute. So Qualtrics has okay. a whole around thought leadership called okay. XM Institute, the Experience Management Institute. I, I blog for them. Uh, I do webinars and different things for them as well. Uh, and it's great content around people analytics for, for, for real people. Uh, oh. And it's a, a great place to, to learn more about how to grow as uh, an experience management and HR professional. Well, thanks, Kevin. That was so great. We've reached the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time when I talk shop with another insightful guest.